This is Fast Forward, brought to you by Tech Manchester. Starting a business is exciting. It gives you the freedom to create your own routine, work on something you're passionate about, and have a positive impact on the world. But running a business is a roller coaster. There's the long hours, the unpredictable workflows, the bootstrapping, which can also make it one of the most stressful experiences that you'll ever go through. Sadly, anxiety and depression is all too common amongst business owners. So throughout October, we're dedicating this podcast to mental health in the workplace. We're talking with founders who've experienced mental health issues and the so-called burnout, as well as experts who'll give tips on how to maintain a good mental health and look after yourself during times of intense pressure. Standing in a tin shed, waiting for the van to come. Old friend. Welcome back to Fast Forward. All this month we are focusing on mental health and well-being in the workplace and how we can all lead happier, more fulfilled and purpose-driven lives. And that's whether you're a founder or an employee. You only need to look at the political situation at the moment to know that we are living in unpredictable times. That's where mindfulness comes in. Research has shown that it can boost resilience, regulate stress and increase emotional intelligence. So to help us understand a little bit more about mindfulness and how to bring it into your business, we're joined today by mindfulness coach, author and podcaster, Christoph Spiesens. Christoph has been helping organisations to improve employee well-being and engagement for more than a decade. Welcome, Christoph. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's great to be here. Uh, I think technically it's uh, two foreigners in Manchester doing a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure so, the uh, only ones around here. That's it. We might put mm. subtitles on this one. <laughs> well, I've been told that the mank twang kicks in at random times when I talk. So oh, it's yeah. going to be a bit of a crossover between Dutch and mank union and whatever else comes up. <laughs> <laughs> well, as my good friend Shiraz has told me, being mank union is a state of mind. So we're oh, all mank union in some way. Let's find out a bit more about you. You believe that practical spirituality is the missing piece of the well-being puzzle. Mm. Um, so let's just get straight into that and then we'll, we'll take a little journey back through sure. your career. What do you actually mean? By practical spirituality, I mean helping people to get a better sense of who they really are as a, not just as a person, but as a human being, which goes far beyond the job title on our business cards or the way we profile ourselves on social media, the way mm. we express ourselves and show up in the world. It's about locking on to a part of ourselves that that's not explored. And by doing so, we get a more holistic understanding of who we are. And the clearer we are on who we are and perhaps also learn more about why we are here, and we start seeing connections between all things in our lives, from relationships to events that happen to us and for us, as I would like to believe. Um, the more mentally well we are, because you understand the bigger picture of yourself and of your life. And so you create a space of reassurance, of 
self-awareness and it just helps you to find a sense of confidence that other what I call quick fix mental health approaches don't always provide. And I'm saying that with respect mm. because everything is relevant. Even the tiniest bit of mental health assistance is incredibly valuable. But the practical spirituality bit is just a different way of looking at ourselves and life. It sounds like it's a bit of an anchor, the thing that you hang on to when mm. everything else is maybe crashing around you. Well, most things are, yeah. as, it, <laughs> as it turns out. There's a lot of um, shaking going on uh, all around us. Like mm. you said in your intro, political and social, and it's important to have that anchor. Yeah. Um, I think uh, you, when you were saying there about um, being connected to your, you know, being defined by your job um, can have devastating consequences when you might lose that job or you might lose that business in the case of an entrepreneur. Um, Fikesh Shaw shared his story here on the podcast and mm. his first business failed and it took him to think about taking his own life and because his entire being was defined by his mm. business and that he's come through that that learning journey. Um, but it is a bit of a journey because no one born is born with this kind of learning or, or a, point, a point of view or experience. So where did your journey into well-being begin? The long story short is that when I was back in Belgium, I went on a summer camp when I was 10 years old at the time, I believe. And I was sexually abused by one of the camp leaders. And that carried on for another two years. And it may sound a little bit weird, and I fully appreciate that. But even then, I already understood somehow at some level that that was happening for a reason and that it would perhaps serve me later on in life. Mm -hmm. And as it turns out, it, it it does and it has and it continues to do so because I understand what pain feels like, abuse feels like, confusion, how it massively impacts on your mental well-being mm -hmm. um, and other relationships. And, and, and I understand, you know, a thing or two about rock bottom in, in that regard and how it is possible to pick ourselves up. So... That was how really I got onto the spiritual ladder, so to speak, because I wanted to understand why it had happened to me. And so I worked with, although I was very young, somehow the universe put me in, in contact with people who could somehow help me understand the whole situation and who were spiritually further along. And eventually, fast forward many years, it was the link to my career in learning and development and now, since five years, mm -hmm. my own purpose coaching consultancy. And it's all with a view of helping people to understand that adversity. Very often, if you use it wisely, and I know it's a big statement that I'm about to make, but can actually help us m move forward in life, although at the time it certainly doesn't feel that, like mm. that. So that was when you were 10 years old. Mm. and it, was, that a, was it a holiday camp? or um, Yes. So you went Summer back? Summer month. Um, so it, the it was actually it took place in the Alps, the Swiss Alps, mm -hmm. and then when we came back to Belgium, it carried on. Oh, the camp leader came with. Yes, with because you? he was a local school teacher. Okay, and I'm sure not the only child that was affected by that. As it turns out, no. Okay. I didn't have um, professional counselling at the time because my father 
at that time. I mean, and that's all fine. I'm I'm cool with that. But didn't think that was the best approach. Mm-hmm. And maybe his intuition at that time was right because the one and only session I did have, it turned out that that counselor was also a pedophile. Okay. So. Just in a very bad yeah. sequence. Correct. So I got other help, support mm. along the way. Yeah. Mm. But it, it goes back to that anchor, isn't it? So obviously as a young 10-year-old, you're not mature enough to really possibly understand what's happening around you, but knowing that... I, I hardly knew what was happening happening physically to mm-hmm. me at that age. I'm yeah. sure in this day and age... I don't know, not so I much. With, 10 is incredibly young. Perhaps with... Well, I'd like to believe you're right, but I, I was going to say maybe with the internet and, and mm. what people have access to at a very young age. Yeah. certainly wasn't around when I was 10. Um, so it was, yeah, it was a big thing. Yeah, I can imagine how painful that whole process would have been at the time um, and the emotional journey that you've that you've been on. Um, what impact do you think overall the experiences had on you? Growth. Uh, again, growth is not easy. But growth is necessary and the way that is facilitated for us is sometimes beyond our human comprehension. But it has taught me, um, because I mean, everything that I'm saying now, I'm fully aware that that doesn't happen overnight. You don't come up with these words, you don't mm-hmm. come up with these philosophies. But it it puts you on a, on a, on a path of personal development that's quite unique. Um, and so, yeah, thank God... Um, I was able to see the positives in it. Yeah, and now you'd be able to share those learnings with mm. other people in a more positive... And the more... So I write about that particular chapter of my life in, in, in my book and only very briefly because I, I don't like to dwell on it for lack of a better word because I have genuinely processed it. Processed it. It's just a part of my life. Um, and you have no idea how many... I actually have a, an inbox subfolder with emails from complete strangers who've mm. written that paragraph or heard me talk about it on a podcast or a talk or whatever and then decided to write to me and say, I've gone through something similar. Even my wife or my husband mm-hmm. doesn't know this. But because of the way you talk about it and s- somehow seem to make sense of that, I might explore, you know, breaking free from that prison, yeah. which is what it is. It is. And that's what I mean by practical spirituality is... is when you understand something or, or, or even remotely get a feeling that you understand something, it inspires you to step up and step out. Yeah. It's amazing that you've given people that, uh, that avenue to be able to vocalize maybe experiences mm. that have happened to them, which they've maybe never shared before and will probably be holding them back in some way emotionally. Yeah. And it's good to talk because, like mm. I said, when you do that, people... All around us, unfortunately, unfortunately, d- do share similar painful experiences, yeah. each in their own format, of course. But by opening up, you you release that splinter, mm-hmm. and that space can be filled with something far more positive. So let's move on a little to um, where this all comes back around to the workplace and and the work that you do today. Um, 11 million days are lost every single year because of stress, Mm. Um, whether that's work-related stress or stress that you experience, which results you you in having to leave 
or finish work. Um, what is your views on that problem? How has it evolved? Has it got worse? Um, what's causing it all? What's <laughs> exacerbating it? The numbers are um, quite startling, aren't they? Mm. And it's a shame. It's a real shame because I do personally... And that's probably not even like properly quantified. It's a, it's a glimpse. Yeah, mm. you know, because on your, you know, your sickness recording, it doesn't normally come up as an option. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so that capturing is maybe not as accurate as it could be. Totally. One of those, and, and we are living in such a highly connected world, that's part of the problem, I think, is because it's hard to switch off, mm-hmm. literally and figuratively. We, we, you, go, you go home and, and unless you make an effort to disconnect or to, to mm. detach, you're always switched on. And it's even worse, perhaps, for entrepreneurs, you know, because what you are and what you do is the same thing. Mm-hmm. Your business is wherever you are. Um, so it's, yeah, the pressure's on. And so I think that's one, so technology, I think, is is one big reason. Another is probably competition. And if many people feel, I see this in, in, the, in my client work, people who feel perhaps guilty for taking a step back. Mm-hmm. Um, because when you guilty towards leaving your business behind for even five minutes or you come home and you have a family to look after, mm-hmm. it's, it's nonstop. Yeah. So at one point, unless you take care of yourself, you will be affected. It has a hormonal effects on you, doesn't it? It sure does. Yeah. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? <laughs> um, I would point out that I'm not a neuroscientist, no, no, that's but okay. um, it's even the shortest window that you allow for yourself to sit down or to go for a run or to detach, however you do that, will have positive effects on your on your system, mm-hmm. and you will you will feel better for it. No, it's um, it's a very effective tool for for well being. So mindfulness, for example, if you whether you go for a walk or you do some meditation, you restore yourself on on many different levels, energetically, spiritually, and you refill your cup. And uh, I would go as far as to say, even a few seconds of applied mindfulness can refill that cup so quickly and yet so effectively that you can go back into a meeting room, for example, or show up for a podcast or whatever the situation <laughs> might be mm-hmm. and behave differently than you perhaps would have done without that kind of mental reset. So to link that back to your question, it, it does positively impact on our system as a whole. So applied mindfulness mm. is key and that's a coping strategy we can use um for the just so we understand what that is because i think Mm. even i have a a perception of what mindfulness is so when i think of mindfulness it's it is some form of meditation but it doesn't necessarily have to be correct does it could Mm. you give some examples of how we could perhaps apply this in our lives thank you for asking that very beautiful and important question because it's First of all, it's a buzzword very often. It is at the minute, yeah. Absolutely. And it's it's great and it's dangerous at the same time. So mm-hmm. I always like to explain it as a sliding scale from 
trying to blank your mind, so to speak, to... Which I literally can't do. Well, we are not robots. Yeah. So I wouldn't recommend that. And even trying to do that is probably wrong altogether. Um, that's one side of the spectrum. And then the other side of the spectrum is where you actually deliberately focus on as many different things as you can. So that's the other version of mindfulness. Okay. So it goes from... That's new. Creating headspace to... If I ask you, okay, look for all the shades of orange in this room, mm -hmm. you would suddenly focus your mind in that direction and start noticing orange, where, whereas before you didn't. So that's that's the other, you know, approach to mindfulness. Sure. My personal definition, um, Trisha, is it's almost about disconnecting from the world by reconnecting with it differently. So I go about my day and all of a sudden I find myself becoming more and more stressed, overwhelmed. I run my own business. I mm -hmm. have workshops to deliver. Maybe it's a keynote, whatever it is. I'm not a robot. I'm a human being. So things get busy. We get stressed. We get anxious. It's all part and parcel of it. What I do like to do, though, is disconnect from that stress by reconnecting with it differently. So by that, for example, to give you a very specific and practical example, could be When I came to your studio today, mm -hmm. I came earlier, parked the car and allowed myself 10 minutes to go over not so much the answers to any questions that you were going to ask me, but just to focus on, am I showing up as me today? Am I clear on what I would like to bring to the meeting Mm -hmm. Is there anything from, and I had a very busy morning this morning with other meetings that needs to be parked in order to focus fully on Trisha and her questions. Does that make sense? That's yeah. what I mean by practical mindfulness. Okay. And that you can call that meditation. You can call it relaxation. It's that doesn't really matter. It's mm. the, the, the practical the benefit. Yeah, mm. absolutely. And I think if we do that throughout our day, I think it's respectful towards the people we meet with. That could be our clients, could be the podcast host, it could be the shop assistant, could be anyone, could be a family member. Mm -hmm. And if we all did that, we would probably get much more out of situations rather than, as we so often do, especially on loved ones and, and friends, take things out on each other. Mm. Because yeah. we all need to somehow get rid of excess tension. amounts of tension and energy yeah so Somebody needs to get it yeah, and you can go to a gym mm -hmm. and that that's perfectly fine and 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 that's you know i would highly recommend that but sometimes when you're in in social mm -hmm. situations you need to find um, a, di a different way you five can't. or ten minutes not absolutely half yeah. hour yeah. session that's a really good answer and it's definitely food for thought i've always struggled with this Uh, mindfulness because uh, I find that my mind is very busy and um, when I do activities like running I suppose I let my wa mind wander and it goes all over so I don't feel that I'm being mindful I'm actually trying to transport my brain into somewhere else where I will wake up and it will be the end of the run <laughs> mm. um, but with swimming I focus very much on the stroke you know how my hand placement is going into the water what my legs are doing And I can push everything else out to focus on those. So I think that's possibly my version. Is mm -hmm. this, it feels like it's a very personal thing, mindfulness. It is. And I think that's 
not a bad approach. Mm. The only, there's something I would like to share as I was listening to your running version of mindfulness. Yeah. It almost, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's almost, and I see this with, with many people I talk to, like there's a little bit of frustration perhaps that the head isn't clearing as much as we were expecting it to do. But the more you can let go of what mindfulness should look like, mm. the more mindful that run becomes. See, I would say that that wasn't mindful, but for what you've just described it is. So what has shifted there? In, just in, your description of it. Just mm. your explanation of what mindfulness is. So I think that's a very important thing to make clear is that how personal this is mm. and what it can be in many different shapes and formats to different people. I always say, and I'm just going to drop the religion word here, religion versus spirituality. One is, for all the right reasons and historical approaches, more set than, for example, spirituality, where I say your mindfulness run means to you and is for you what it is to you. Mm. You can, your vision of that today can be different to next week and you want to allow for, you know, room for maneuvering. You you want to just see what turns up for you because every time it will bring up something new. Maybe today I need to learn how to not be so hard on myself. Maybe next week it's about something completely different. Mm. Every run will teach you something new. I have a, a question here about religion mm. before we move on. Mm -hmm. um, it's just something that I've been thinking about as you've been speaking. Um, I would say that perhaps, so I'm, I'm a practicing Catholic yep. and I would go to Mass. And mm -hmm. that's probably another place where by default you're practicing mindfulness because you're without distractions. You're focusing on what's happening in front of you on the altar. Mm -hmm. You're thinking about the prayers that you're saying. Yep. Or you're thinking about completely different things, and that's also fine. Um, but do you think we've lost, because we've, we've moved away as a society, away from religion, and we're not practicing Christians as much as we were, or other religions, we're not, you know, attendances at Church of the Fallen. Do you think that's, is that where, and that's why we're looking for other ways to do it? I love that, because I, I would agree with you. And I am... I was born and raised Catholic and I still mm -hmm. am. But I, for me, I will take myself for a, a mindfulness walk to the park mm -hmm. rather than a church building. And there's no mm -hmm. right or wrong. This is entirely personal. But I would agree with you that what, whether you choose for the church building or the park, mm -hmm. more people may want to look for their church. And because it provides a, a space for... Focus, yeah. like you said, the altar. Um, when I go to midnight midnight mass, for example, I find myself guilty of looking at w what my neighbor's shoes are or mm -hmm. whatever. It's very easy to get distracted. <laughs> what are they right? wearing? <laughs> There's like artwork everywhere, and and yeah. you know, or, or particular hymn mm -hmm. catches your attention. But you're noticing it exactly, regardless of what your version of religion or spirituality is. My encouragement for people would be to reconnect to what they feel the bigger picture might be because mm. it's very helpful and it's non-dogmatic it's you have freedom to explore what works for you what doesn't work for you but boy can it help you stay anchored and grounded and in, you know in, um, support your mental health yeah absolutely are there other coping strategies that that we can deploy mindfulness obviously is is one what else can we do Talk about it, I think, is the, the quick answer. Mm -hmm. 
problem halved, shared is a problem halved. Um, this is where the whole vulnerability movement comes in, which mm-hmm. is um, one of one of the, the 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 most influential thought leaders of our time is the wonderful Brene Brown. Um, I'm sure your yes. listeners are familiar with her work. I was uh, actually listening to one of her talks on Sunday morning. So important yeah. to understand the power of being vulnerable for as it turns out it's you're not vulnerable at all you're actually quite strong in a way for Mm -hmm. saying every time this situation happens i find my mental health deteriorating this begins to happen da 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 whatever which is different for all of us and if you then if you share that not unlike the sexual abuse we mentioned earlier you will find that you inspire other people to lower the threshold and they can join in and they too can start their healing journey. Mm. And that's why I think it's so incredibly important to to talk. I think that's really nice about lowering the threshold to allow others to speak. That's really we all nice. have that, um, not obligation, but invitation to do that for each other. And the more empathetic you become, you the easier it will be for for you to help lower that, that threshold. Mm. Yeah. And help you as a person, become more rounded mm. as a person. So that's that's a big one yeah. to talk. There are many, many more. I would, uh, yeah, I'm sure we can do another podcast entirely <laughs> on coping strategies. Yeah, But those would be the two main ones. Mm. The question would be, why are people or not more people opening up and can you help other people identify those barriers is it shame is mm. it guilt is it you know because they're an alpha male or whatever or it could be anything it could be a, a, a past negative experience of yeah. opening up and saying the heck with that never again or it could be just the fear of even addressing it in the first place might Absolutely. cause them more negative yeah pain or feelings than they already experienced. But that is absolutely true and that can be a very short-lived, painful window whereas when you choose to not express it, you carry that pain with you for the rest of your life mm-hmm. and, and the accumulated, accumulated pain mm. and, and energy yeah, that's not uh, the amplification exactly, of it. Yeah. It's dangerous even. Yeah. Uh-uh. Um. Let's talk about employees then. Yes. Um, how important is it for them to be supported emotionally in the workplace? And how, do you think yeah. businesses are doing enough around that? Do it, they overlook it? Do they realize or is it more of a fear around resourcing it if they try to? Okay. So part A to your question um, employees are, you know, everything we've talked about it up until now. It's about human beings, right? People mm-hmm. with feelings and, and, and that that's what employees are. So I think it's very important that there is um, room for pe- for employees to to talk about their issues and to be encouraged to um, look after their mental health because we're all in this game of life. Yeah. And the lines between personal life and and professional life are so blurred it becomes they're synonymous it, it, very often yeah mm. 
So I think there's been, this is part two of your question, I think there's been an enormously positive movement or step forward with the whole mental health awareness initiatives and campaigns and more and more businesses are bringing in people like myself to do meditation, to do holistic workshops, um, whatever, yoga, and it's very helpful and it's very good. And so I'm not knocking it, but it's it's the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot more room for mm. more. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we have here on campus a, a Time to Talk uh, initiative. Mm, and that's beautiful. run with our uh, mental health first aiders that we have mm-hmm. across the business. We walk through past a, a yoga class on the way into the podcast we today. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, there's I think there's always capacity. But there's so many free resources out there as well that are available to businesses mm. that they can they can utilize. So it, I think that particularly for small businesses and businesses that are maybe just one or two employees, it doesn't have to hit the bottom line as much in terms of, and not look at it as a cost, but as an investment. Absolutely. And a huge difference could be made whether your business is small or, or huge, is just by the way people talk to each other. It can be a simple, you know, how are you, but how are you really? Mm-hmm. Um, if we learn to trust our intuition, and I think this is a really big point, you will see opportunities to engage with your fellow co-workers differently. And for that... Yes, of course, I would like people to bring us in and, and do some work with the teams. But as a manager, whether you're a team leader or you're a CEO, you can just make a huge impact on people by slightly changing the way you interact with them. Mm. And so it's it's easier than we think. We just need to be more pardon the pun, mindful of it. And we need to want to make that decision to make a difference. Hmm. I had done a 360 mm. feedback exercise a few years back um, with uh, my now good friend, John Holland. And um, uh, I got the results back with that. And um, I scored really low on empathy. Hmm. And Christoph, I was very shocked. I was like, I am empathetic. I do care about people. Why are, Why is this telling me that I am not very empathetic? And um, so when I went to see John to discuss the results and he said, he just said, uh, turned around and said, Trisha, you know, it's about being truly present mm. in the conversation. And like no word of a lie, I was on my phone tapping away whenever he was saying it. And they went, for example. Ouch. And that's when I realized. Mm. <laughs> I was like, aha. I had the aha moment. So... Where the phone goes out when concentrated time is needed with mm. fellow colleagues. And have you noticed a big change in your I did then, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I did then. What do you do, if you don't mind me asking, to keep this positive momentum going? Oh, I have good days and bad days right. myself. Mm-hmm. Everybody does. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's about that self-awareness mm. and being mindful that that non-verbal communication of having your phone in your hand doing whatever as notifications or emails or whatever comes through has an impact on that the person that's actually trying to talk to you. Well, empathy is it's a big tool for improving mental well-being, isn't mm. it? We like to be at the receiving end of a listening ear. Yeah. And it's nice to be the listening ear for others. Yeah. And the positive 
you know, the, the benefits from, from that dynamic are, are huge. Hmm. And it's, it's empowering. Um, there's something that I want to add to this, if I, if I may. Mm-hmm. There is, because you talked about being present, <laughs> one piece of the, the, the puzzle I forgot, well, I chose not to share at the, at the time, but now is more relevant, is between what happened in Belgium and then eventually moving to the UK and staying here was my career in the airline industry. Mm-hmm. I was cabin crew for two years for Japan Airlines. Okay. And that's, that's again, that's a different podcast, but <laughs> <laughs> different stories. Um, but one of the... An enlightening th- period of your life, no doubt. Yes, that's a good word. Okay. Um, I've also worked for other airlines, different stories. The one mm-hmm. from Japan or more kosher, shall we say. Okay. Um, but one beautiful principle that I learned there, Trisha, was something called Ichigo Ichi-e, which is, and you see this more and more coming up with all the, the mindfulness and Ikigai coffee table books that are out there and wabi-sabi lifestyle. And it means Ichigo Ichi-e, one time, one meet, as in meeting. And the Japanese believe that every moment spent with a fellow human being is unique. It will not come back because it cannot come back. So do something with it. Mm. And it's a real game changer. And it links back to empathy. Because when you meet with someone, whether it's a business meeting, it's a catch-up coffee, whatever it is, that moment is, is truly unique. You know, And you can leverage it by changing the way you show up by how you are, you choose to be present. And if you do it carefully, and it's not hard work, it's just, for example, like you said, switching off your phone, um, clearing your head, mm-hmm. you generate a different, you create a different space for that person or people, and therefore you're likely to create a different result. And they'll feel your presence. They'll feel that you know the importance of that moment. And for me, it was a real game changer. A story that I always share or a short anecdote is, so I've flown to Japan, I think, 96 times. Um, it's something <laughs> crazy. Uh, probably. Um, and so there's, as with any job, there's a risk that things become a little bit monotonous mm-hmm. or that you become tired yeah. or whatever. Jaded. Yeah. yeah. And especially when you're very jet-lagged. However, through the magic of applying Ichigo Ichie, I was always reminded of the fact that those two, three hundred people who were boarding the aircraft were strangers. I'd never met them. They'd never met me. And we would probably never, ever see each other again. And it makes the next 14 hours flying across Siberia back to Europe in a metal tube, a very (laughs) different experience because you begin to see room for small talk. You begin to see, you notice things that otherwise you would have said, I'm too tired to make an effort. I'm too tired to be present. Mm -hmm. You're not, you're not there and it's not fair on, on your passengers. And let me tell you, not just, not only do your passengers benefit from that, you benefit from that because those 14 hours you know, they fly by, pardon the pun, but they do. It's a different experience. Meetings become a different experience. Podcasts become a different experience. Ichigo Ichi, at this moment, is all there is. 
So to link that back to what we're talking about, mental health in the office, imagine if more and more people understood the power of Ichigo Ichie. It's like, maybe you could think I'm sick to death of seeing this colleague. <laughs> or, oh God, not him again, it's not okay, her Sarah, again. Sarah can hear us. <laughs> I'm not sicky, Sarah. I think when you whisper, you get away with it. Maybe okay. not. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it changes your attitude. Mm. And it creates a better outcome for you and the people you interact with. And I think small things like that lead to better mental health because you have less to be frustrated about in your car on the way home at the end of the day. And so yeah. you don't need to drag that onto your family members or whoever. You know, it's, it's practical. If you want it to, it's very practical. Is that one of the things that you teach businesses in terms of how they can improve, yeah. you know, results through well-being? And what other techniques and tools do you teach them to help them? It's usually a... Comp so my workshops are always bespoke. It depends on the size of the organization, mm -hmm. the, the time, you know, window that I'm being given and, and, and other logistics, so to speak. But it's usually a combination. So it's always a holistic approach to personal development. The key concepts are better personal awareness, understanding oneself. And then if everybody on the team does that, leads to better understanding each other our weaknesses, our strengths, our energy drivers, things that frustrate us, you know, the good, the bad and the ugly. And that self-awareness is, is really a huge stepping stone. And it's about creating a space where the participants of the course will feel it's okay to, to, to be a little bit more vulnerable mm -hmm. and that they learn firsthand that actually it inspires other people to open up. It triggers great conversations. And so as much as workshops should be fairly structured, if you dare to, just like real life, if you dare to go with the magic of the moment and you dare to work with the topics that come up and you address them there and then, you creates a, a very inspirational experience for employees. And they trust, not only do they learn about those concepts, they trust that locking onto the, the energy of the moment can lead to a destination that's even better and more beneficial than the one that you had initially planned. So what you need for that to happen is what I call a conscious man, a conscious manager, a conscious company who, mm -hmm. who, who bring you in to, to do that, who understand that the, the real magic of interpersonal relationships happens far beyond uh, the curriculum of, of a training manual. Because ultimately, I think people want to talk about what's, you know, eating at them and, and their challenges and, mm -hmm. and, and situations. And that links back to empathy rather than telling this is what we're going to talk about today yeah. and this is what's going to improve your mental health. Entirely focus it on your on the people you serve. Yeah. I think yeah. you can see that when you turn those typical one to ones on their head, which is, you know, this is what the company wants. This yeah. is what this is what needs to still be done. Oh by the way, how are you? Mm. To mm. how are you? Exactly. You know, start with that. 
I'm reminded of a tagline five years ago when I first started my consultancy, which mm -hmm. said, support your employees emotionally and you will see the results financially. Mm -hmm. That was because it's true if you, if you have someone who's really who feels valued in the workplace, they're going to show up completely differently and, and, and give more and share yeah. more and yeah. be more effective, be more productive. So I think it's important that we explore other parts of what is usually covered in these kind of workshops. So we had the personal awareness. Mm -hmm. You can talk about breathing exercises, which is something very practical. People can start playing with that and experiencing the benefits as soon as they go home, share it with friends, family. Um, I also like to explore fears, self-limiting beliefs mm -hmm. versus self-empowering beliefs. And one of my favorite activities is a, a recalibration exercise where we talk about the difference between who people think they are but versus what they actually do mm. all day, every day yeah. in social and professional contexts. And, and the, the bigger that gap is between the two, often the more anxiety there is or, or emotional unhappiness. And whereas the more you can close that gap, the more authentic people will be. Mm. And an authentic lifestyle is, is never a bad thing. Yeah. yeah. We've had a few um, startups on the mentoring program where mm. they left corporate roles because the work that they were doing just was so far removed from what the values were that they couldn't, they couldn't it was actually causing them distress to do the work that they were doing. So they left and started their own businesses yeah. doing something a bit more positive. And even even when you do, and I don't mean to undo any of the, the work here that we've done, but even mm. as, as an entrepreneur who lives, you know, who walks the talk and who lives his business, mm -hmm. everyone is prone to stress, mm -hmm. anxiety, moments of your confidence being not knocked, but squashed yeah. altogether. Yeah. And I think it's because it, it depends on, you know, when we talk about the workshops, it depends on whether you are working with employees of a company or whether they're self-employed, entrepreneurs, etc. Because you, you need to be aware that no one's an island, you know, and, and everyone has challenges. So, in fact, one of my one of my favorite workshops is, is one called Mindful Manager. And I don't take that one into businesses as such, but it's an event that I put on in Manchester and the first one in London is coming up, end of September, which was born from my frustration is a strong word, but seeing business executives, entrepreneurs hiding in the mind, body, spirit section of a Waterstones on a Sunday, <laughs> browsing through all those books mm -hmm. with a big smile on their face, knowing damn well that they would have to go back to someone some form, some uniform, some costume, some mask mm. the next day and be not who they are for another week. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, we need to create a space where managers too can come and talk mm. and practice mindfulness and, and meet with like-minded people. Because where can the managers go? It's about bringing your whole self to work, isn't it? Mm. It's about being inclusive and mm. being kind. Absolutely. So what kind of practical things can businesses and individuals do to practice mindfulness? You mentioned your workshop there. What kind of practical tips can we give businesses or individuals who are looking to try and practice this for the perhaps the first time? 
it'd be great if you could build it into your culture. And for, for, for me, mindfulness is, is really, it's a way of life. It's not a, a quick... Task. Yeah. 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 Or a quick fix or... Mm. A, so it depends from... It, you, you want to embed it in everything that you do, from the customer experience to the employee experience, all of your departments, all the stakeholders, and, and talk to people. Really, even at the point of interview, the initial interview, get a feel not just for people's qualifications and interests, but what makes them tick. Mm. How do they want to feel supported? You can, you can change the way you interview someone to there and then apply mindfulness and, and, and make a stance on the importance of mental health in your organi organizations right from the get-go. And we have quite a few people that would listen to this podcast mm. who are founders of very early stage businesses. So I guess they're the perfect um, cu customer, I suppose, or perfect place where they mm -hmm. can actually embed uh, mindfulness into the heart of their business because they're they're building it right now from mm. scratch. Everything's being built. What types of things can they do um, to start embedding that in from the very beginning of their journey? So if you are co-founder mm. or co-founder and that's all there is at the moment for you, how do you do that at the start and then to bring that forward into your first hires? Without you... There's no business. Mm -hmm. So keep yourself in the best possible condition, shape you can. Yeah. And my biggest recommendation would be to be self-aware enough to know when you need those five minutes. And build them in during throughout your day mm -hmm. or dare to not rush into the next meeting and trust your intuition that that calls you to take a moment, five seconds, run to the nearest cubicle, mm -hmm. do some breathing work, whatever it is that you need to do to keep that cup full. I think it's it's simpler than than what it's made out to be. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be a Zen monk to get it right. Um, so at the start of your entrepreneurial journey and building something beautiful, build yourself first. I like that. I think that's a really nice place to finish. I've thoroughly enjoyed um, our conversation today. Same here. Thank you um, very much. For sharing your advice and expertise. I think there's been some really practical tips and uh, demystification of mindfulness, I think, <laughs> <laughs> for me as well as others, I hope. Um, and certainly for this month of October and um, for entrepreneurs everywhere that they will get a better night's sleep. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. If you feel that you may be struggling to cope or would like some advice on how to improve your mental health, there are links to a variety of support groups in our show notes. Please check them out on SoundCloud or iTunes. Like the fear from above.